This is Chasing Dramas. We are discussing Chinese history by following historical Chinese TV dramas. You're listening to Kathy and Karen. Today, we are discussing episode four of Hu Gong Jin Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace. I hope everyone's doing well. It's been a couple of busy days for us. We recorded some additional music on the zither for our music for this podcast, so we hope you enjoy. And you know, we've been doing a lot of traveling. Kathy, can you do the honors? Sure. Jiang Fuhai, who is the chief eunuch for Huang Hou, the empress, is still at Huafei's palace quarters. Huafei refuses to take any responsibility for Fu Zi's death, and instead notes that it was Fu Zi who ran off. How is it her, Huafei's problem, if the maid decides to run off and somehow turn up dead? Remember, Fu Zi is the servant girl that Huang Hou gave to Huafei in the first episode. Xiang Fuhai does not have a great response and retreats. And don't you just feel bad for the servants? They die and not a whole lot can be done. I actually think that we should probably start having a body count tally just to see how many deaths there are in this drama. It's not like a violent show or anything, but uh, the body count does, spoiler alert, go up from here. <laughs> Back to our main character, Jin Huan is still in shock from the events of the previous episode. If you recall, there was a punishment uh, given to Xiao Dongchun by um, by Huafei, and also they find the body of Fu Zi in a well. So Jin Huan is realizing just how terrifying it is to be in the palace, and she starts thinking of ways to protect herself. Outside in the courtyard, one of her maids notices a weird pattern of ants crawling around a tree. Jin Huan tells the eunuchs to dig up whatever is buried there. They find a pot. And inside is something that smells putrid. Jin Huan is shocked but doesn't really know what's going on. So she tells everyone to pretend like they've never seen this before and asks them to disperse. Back in her room, Jin Huan contemplates what to do next. She tells Huan Bi, her half-sister slash maid, to summon the imperial doctor, Wen Shichu, the guy that appeared in episode one, who is her childhood friend and the guy who wanted to marry Jin Huan before she could get into uh, the palace. Anyways, he stops by to check on her and she tells him that she doesn't want to be available for the emperor and needs his help to make her seem sick, thereby deflecting being selected by the emperor. She shows him what they uncovered. And it turns out that inside the pot is something called a xiangjin or a musk pod, which he is shocked. Wen Shichu reluctantly agrees to help her. And we'll analyze the scene more in depth, so, you know, if it sounds weird right now, we'll discuss this later. It is now time for selecting a concubine for the night. It's the first night, the new ladies are available to the emperor, and obviously Huang Shang asks for Jin Huan's nameplate. But upon hearing that she's unavailable and sick, Huang Shang picks Shen Meizhuang. Let's fast forward a month. We see Shen Meizhuang admiring chrysanthemums gifted by Yong Zheng. 
He's taken a liking to her. Yongcheng likes that she's educated and gifts her even more chrysanthemums upon hearing that she likes them. Huangsheng actually wants her to start learning management, which is a big responsibility. He likes that Shen Meizhuang is poised and calm. Meanwhile, Jin Huan is still bedridden. Jian Qiu, Huang Hou's main maid, comes to visit and check on her. While you think this is a nice visit, what we can tell you here is that Huang Hou is actually using Jian Qiu, her maid, to incite jealousy between Shen Meizhuang and Jin Huan, while also checking to see if Jin Huan is actually sick or not. In the meantime, Huang Hou has Qi Fei, one of the older consorts who has the oldest son, the third prince, over for tea, and they gossip about the ladies. But what's interesting is that you find out that pretty much this gruesomeness that you've seen and this, you know, passive aggressiveness and the violence is pretty much standard for Hokong and what you'll have to be experiencing pretty much every day in order to survive here. Huafei is in the garden admiring chrysanthemums. She sees eunuchs hastily moving a bunch of beautiful and new chrysanthemums around and thinks that they are for her. But when she finds out that the chrysanthemums are actually for Shen Meizhuang, Huafei throws a hissy fit and orders all of the chrysanthemums in her palace to be thrown out. Yeah, this doesn't look too good for Shen Meizhuang. Indeed, at the next Qing'an or greeting, Shimizhuang comes late because she had an accident walking to Huang Hou's palace, where a eunuch accidentally spilled water on her clothes, so she had to go back and change. We don't know if this was on purpose or not. Anyways, Li Pin, who we saw in episode 2, drills down on her tardiness. Huafei chimes in and serves out a punishment. In addition, Huafei starts to see Fu Cha Guiren, a Manchu noble lady, and Shi Meizhuang, who her, her rank again is a Han noble lady, as legitimate threats. She brings Fu Cha Guiren, who is Manchu, in to teach her how to yan mo, which means to grind ink, but really it's just a punishment meant to tell her who's boss. We finally turn to see Yongzheng, who is dealing with a rebellion to the West. He doesn't have anyone to choose to quash this rebellion except for Nian Geng Yao. Do you remember who he is? He is the brother of Huafei. And because Nian Geng Yao is the only option, Yongzheng sends him to the front lines. At the end of the episode, we finally get back to Sui Yuxuan, where Jin Huan lives, to check on Jin Huan. All of her servants, except for Huan Bi and Liu Zhu, which are the two servants that she brought from home, and the other older servant, the head uh, maid, Jin Xi, are starting to treat Jin Huan very poorly because she's not getting any attention from the emperor. It looks like the servants are about to mount a mutiny because they don't like following a master with such poor prospects. And this is all because Jin Huan has refused to be available to the emperor. And that was that for episode four. Yeah, not too bad, not too long. All right, Kathy, what's the first scene you want to discuss? 
The first scene that I want to discuss is where Jin Huan requests for Wen Shichu, the imperial doctor, to come over for a checkup. This is right after they find the mysterious object from the pot. What do you want to share about the scene? Well, first, let me give some background about Chinese traditional medicine and how people are diagnosed with a doctor. In Chinese medicine, the doctor usually checks your pulse on your wrist to make the diagnoses. This practice has been around for centuries, if not millennia. It's how Chinese doctors were able to detect pretty much anything in your body. And in Chinese TV dramas, we'll just say they're all magical and can figure out a lot of things. In this drama, you see Wen Shichu placing a handkerchief over her wrist before performing a checkup. Because in this society, a male is not allowed to touch a female unless, of course, they were married. There can be no skin-on-skin contact, even for a doctor. And this is why he puts the handkerchief over the wrist, because he's not touching her actual skin. And this is not quite exactly how it was done in the palace. There's actually a bug here. Uh, supposedly, imperial doctors were not even supposed to check the pulse this way with a handkerchief over the hand, over the wrist. Apparently, you're supposed to tie a string around the concubine's wrist and pull the string to across the room where you're sitting at a chair. And then from there, you hold onto the string and are able to check the pulse and find out what ailments there were. I have absolutely no idea how their diagnosis, you know, could be accurate and how they actually figured out what uh, problems there were. But these were the rules set by imperial doctors. And this is actually not just us, you know, making things up. This was actually the case. And there were quite a few. There was actually only, I think, one drama that we've seen where this was shown accurately. So in any case, in this drama, he has this handkerchief over her wrist and, uh, you know, we'll just... Go with that. Also, for Chinese traditional medicine, you check pulse, um, your pulse to figure out what ailments there are. And then the medicine is normally some type of herb or root or, you know, a combination of both to fix the problem. So it really is very um, versatile. And a lot of what we talk about right now is more, mostly about food and like what you ingest or what's around you as like the killer, or the poison, or the cure. So keep that in mind. Well, the main thing that I want to discuss is actually that potent smelling object they dug up earlier. Jin Huan gives it to Wen Shichu, and he, like Karen said, is shocked. How does Jin Huan have such a thing? Well, what is this mysterious object? It is the mythical ingredient that is used in every single palace drama, musk or she xiang. Ladies and gentlemen, remember what this is? It'll show up everywhere, especially in this drama. In Chinese dramas, this is the all-powerful object that causes miscarriages and potentially stops a female's ability to reproduce. So basically, it also causes sterilization. Musk is a chemical from the gland of a male musk deer. The pod is dried and used to make medicine. Musk has been used in Chinese traditional medicine for thousands of years, 
It can be used for seizures, convulsions, bruising, and actually it gives off a scent, uh, which is why it's actually used for perfume. It is true that pregnant women should not be using musk, but musk does not have the ability to cause someone to be sterile. In the drama, this is dramatized. Let's just pretend that it has this ability and you shouldn't be around it for too long. The previous inhabitant of where Jinhuan is living was a Fang Guirin, who was also another noble lady. She was banished after suffering a miscarriage because she apparently went crazy with grief. Well, was the miscarriage because of this musk pod? They don't really say in the drama, but it is most likely because this item was around. What terrifies Jinhuan the most is that this dangerous and harmful item was literally plotted in such a way that it was very difficult to detect. If it wasn't by a sheer stroke of luck for her maid to be looking at ants for some reason, Jinhuan must have or might have actually suffered the same fate. Jinhuan is savvy enough to know that Hougong is a terrifying place. I mean, her father did tell her when she left back in episode two to keep her head down and just to be happy and live a peaceful life. So Jinhuan comes up with a plan and asks Wen Shichu to help her seem sick and thereby being unavailable to serve the emperor. This is because she does not want to be the center of attention. She already has drawn the attention of Huafei and Huangho in the previous episode, so she doesn't want to get any more unwanted attention. The other consideration here is that she needs to not only protect herself, but her family and her family's reputation. If you haven't understood this fact already, is that everything you do in the palace is tied back to your family and your family's fame and fortune. So Jin Huan really needs to find a way to survive in the palace and protect her family as well. So she deemed that pretending to be sick is the only way. And it's also always good to have a doctor around. Pretty much in every single palace drama, you need to have a doctor on your side. Otherwise, you are effed. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me discuss the scene with Huang Ho and Huang Shang, where they're deciding who to select for the evening. I actually want to talk about Huang Ho bringing up the incident of Fu Zi. Yong Jung's response upon hearing this right now is interesting. He knows that Hua Fei must have done something because it's in her nature. He actually says that. And he tells Huang Ho to investigate. He says that palace maids are from the Banner clans and not just some random people from the street. So it doesn't look good to have one just unexpectedly die. Something else that's interesting is when Huang Sheng hears about the fate of Xia Dongchun, who is now permanently disabled from her punishment in the previous episode, he's more or less like, meh, she deserved it. He does not care whatsoever that she's disabled. Huafei knew that this punishment wouldn't be a big deal to either the emperor or the empress, so she just went with it. But this punishment was such a shock to the new ladies. So that is kind of like the scale of uh, regularity, let's say. Things like this are doled out in the palace. And on that note, Karen, what scene do you want to discuss next? 
So, uh, Kathy, we'll come back to this whole piece about Fuzi in a little bit. The piece that I want to discuss for this episode, and it is one of my most favorite scenes, actually, is the scene after Shin Meizhuang has been picked to serve the emperor. And I recommend you watch the scene. Basically, we discussed this uh, in the intro episode. And if you didn't listen to it, the recap is if you are picked to serve the emperor, you are um, pretty much undressed, rolled up in a comforter, put on the shoulders of three or four eunuchs, and then carried over to the emperor's um, dragon bed. And that's where he will see you for the night. So that's what happened. And in this drama, they kind of show that and then gloss over it. And now we just see beautiful, pretty Shin Meizhuang admiring chrysanthemums. So why do I like this scene? This scene is where you uncover more or less what type of person Shin Meizhuang is. So in TV time, it's the next scene right after Shin Meizhuang has been picked to be with the emperor. In drama time, it's like a month. So she is outside of her palace enjoying chrysanthemums that the emperor gave her. While she is doing this, Huang Shang, the emperor, stops by to see how she is doing, and he notices that she likes these flowers. Her clothes even have chrysanthemums sewn into them. He asks her why. She responds with a poem, Ning ke zhi tou bao xiang si. She likes the qijie, or the integrity of the flower, to which Yongzheng is immediately impressed. Not only by the fact that this means she is educated because she was so readily able to recite a poem, but because she cares about something as important as integrity, which is not something that everyone focuses on. So, I said the verse kind of quickly. Let's discuss what the verse means because I really like this poem. And I actually think about it a lot after watching this drama. So this poem is by a Song Dynasty scholar named Zheng Sixiao. And this Song Dynasty piece is important. This verse is actually quite well known. Um, It's not the only place I've seen it in this drama. You know, I've heard it in other places. And basically this poem describes the chrysanthemum flower with a historical twist. There are four total lines or verses to the poem. The first two lines, which she doesn't recite, basically says that the chrysanthemum flower blooms at a different time than most other flowers, and that the chrysanthemum stands alone against the rust in her beauty which is true given that chrysanthemums bloom generally in the late summer through early winter. The last two lines, which Shen Meizhuang recites just now, says that when the flower's life ends, it would rather wilt on its stem than to blow into the north wind. That is the Basically, she is saying that this flower has integrity and is able to stand its ground. Now, the north wind piece of this poem is significant. This poem, like I mentioned, was written by a Song Dynasty scholar, a late Song Dynasty scholar. This time period is when the Mongols, a la Genghis Khan, were invading China from the north. This Song scholar purposefully mentions the north wind 
as a way to say that they would rather die and maintain their Song Dynasty heritage and Han culture than be subject to Mongolian rule and be overtaken by the Yuan Dynasty. For Shen Meizhuang to like this line and to like this poem shows that her mind is resolute in what she wants. If she has an idea, she will stick to it and not back down. Yongzheng is impressed because, like I said earlier, she cares about something as unique as integrity instead of, you know, riches and wealth and beauty. And so he gifts her a lot more chrysanthemums. And historically in China, women have been described as flowers, whether it be in books or poems. This drama is no different. Shen Meizhuang can and will be compared to this chrysanthemum flower for the remainder of this drama. Well, Shen Meizhuang has the attention of the emperor, and now she's the target for a lot of people because she has that attention. I also want to point out that the poem itself could also be taken in a very, very different way if Yongzheng wanted to. And the reason is because in the uh, Qing dynasty, Mongolians are now part of the Qing dynasty. There is a very, very uh, strong alliance between the two. If Yongzheng wanted to take that poem in a different way, Shimizhuang uh, could have also been sent to prison for this. Um, because right now the North Wind is talking about the Mongolians and Currently, the Qing Dynasty has and includes the Mongolians. That could be taken in a very, very bad way. Well, the next scene that I want to discuss is the next Qing An scene. I just said that Shen Meizhuang now has the attention of the emperor and she is a target. She doesn't do so well this time around. In the last episode, Shen Meizhuang had Jin Huan to help her out. But this time, she's by herself and does not come out unscathed. Shemeizhuang arrives late because a eunuch spills water on her. And right as she sits down, Li Pin begins the attack, giving a snarky comment on her late arrival. Remember that Li Pin is on the same side as Hua Fei. Even Huang Ho seems a little annoyed, but she nevertheless excuses her. Well... Huafei is not having it. This is a perfect opportunity to strike Shimeizhuang down a little bit. She's still really pissed off about the whole chrysanthemums thing. And now that we know that Li Pin and Huafei are together, they're having this little um, tag teaming to uh, put Shimeizhuang in her place. Li Pin remarks, if Shimeizhuang asks for forgiveness every time, does that mean that she can disregard the rules and court etiquette? Well, Shen Meizhuang's maid tells the truth of what happens, and before Huang Ho can even breathe, Huafei swoops in to say, no matter what, it is your fault. This is a sticky situation for Shen Meizhuang, and she doesn't really know how to handle this, and she doesn't get out of it. Okay, also can I pause to say, what to Huafei? You've been late so many times, and now you bring up court etiquette? What? <laughs> So, unfortunately, Jin Pin, who is a soft-spoken concubine and is the ruling concubine of the palace where Shen Meizhuang lives, tries to help Shen Meizhuang out, but is quickly shut down by Huafei. As the highest-ranking concubine in that palace, Huafei says that Jin Pin 
is also supposed to be reprimanded for not teaching Shen Meizhuang better manners. Interestingly, Huang Hou does not come to Shen Meizhuang's aid and asks what type of punishment would be suitable to Hua Fei. Hua Fei starts off big for Shen Meizhuang's crime of boastfulness and belittling the emperor. Shen Meizhuang should be flogged 30 times or beaten with a stick. I think beaten with a stick is the right word. But since I'm being merciful and this is your first offense, you will just be docked two months' pay. Oh, and Jingping, since you didn't teach her properly, you receive the same punishment. 30 floggings or 30 beatings for a small woman? You will likely be dead. <laughs> Remember Xia Dongchun. And Huafei has given out harsher punishments. Huang Hou right now finally steps in. They will be docked only one month pay because it's almost the new year and she dismisses the ladies. Before Huafei leaves though, Huang Hou stops her. She points out that she's never reprimanded Huafei for being late, so why is she being so strict on Shen Meizhuang? To which Huafei responds, You're too kind and Huang Sheng knows this. That's why he gave me the power to manage Hou Gong. If I don't do something, what will he think? This is a pretty good blow, and Huang Hou tries to win back the argument by saying, well, since Huang Sheng gave you the power, you should lead by example and come early to future greetings. She is now trying to force Hua Fei to come early because Huang Hou is obviously annoyed that Hua Fei comes in late, like literally all the time. Nope. Hua Fei is going to do whatever she wants and says, I can't help it if Huang Shang tells me to sleep in. Who should I listen to, you or Huang Shang? Um, Huang Hu cannot win that argument, and she concedes, of course, and says, listen to the emperor. Huafei definitely won that round, and she knows it. Everyone is jealous of Shen Meizhuang's favoritism by the emperor. Shen Meizhuang, as we've said earlier, doesn't know quite how to play the game as well as, you know, Zhen Huan. She's made herself too much of a target now. To be fair, it's tough. You want the favor of the emperor because that is the only way to advance your career, really, in Hokong, but you can't seem too eager about it. Huafei needed some ammunition against Shen Meizhuang and Shen Meizhuang's tardiness was the perfect excuse. No one could say that it was an unfair sentence. Huang Hou is definitely annoyed too. Otherwise, she probably would have made more of an effort to stop the sentence. Huafei also used this sentence to pit Jingping and Shen Meizhuang against each other because Jingping basically got punished for no reason. So Huafei was able to kill two birds with one stone. I will say also that Huang Ho probably wanted this sentence to occur or just to, you know, have it happen as a warning to all of the other ladies, the newer ladies, to say that this is more or less how it's going to be in Hokong. Let's now discuss two scenes that bring together the political machinations of the imperial court, Qian Chao, and the imperial harem, Hou Gong. Yong Zheng is discussing with some of his courtiers 
about a rebellion in the northwest, Qinghai. The best person they have to quash the rebellion is Nian Gengyao, and remember, he is Huafei's brother. What's interesting is how Yongzheng uses this idiom to describe Nian Gengyao. He uses the idiom "da quan du lan," which means to arrogate all power to oneself, to describe Nian Gengyao. This idiom definitely has a negative connotation for anybody that is not an emperor. And Yongzheng is wary to give Nian Gengyao more opportunities. The solution is to have another up-and-coming viceroy join the expedition, so that Nian Gengyao doesn't receive all the credit should he succeed. And here is the interesting piece: when the courtiers leave, we see that Huafei has sent over some desserts for Huangsheng, as if this were on cue. Yongzheng. Or Huangsheng takes this opportunity to gift Huafei some eastern pearls, and wants Su Peisheng, his personal head eunuch, to send them over. We discussed this in the last episode, but Dongzhu or eastern pearls are actually extremely valuable, more valuable than jade. There are certain eastern pearls, the Chaozhu, that are only designated to the emperor. Empress and Empress Dowager. This gift is highly unusual and truly elevates Huawei's status. Yongzheng says that he is giving this to her to reward her for doing such a good job managing Hougong. But what did we just witness? Did he really think that Huawei is doing a good job managing Hougong? Huafei's brother is about to go to war. This is the real reason why he is trying to send her a gift because Huangsheng needs to keep Huafei appeased so that her brother will be successful on the battlefield. He is managing both aspects of court to get the best results. With all the power that Nian Gengyao has right now, Yongzheng cannot risk him being unhappy and rebelling against. His empire. So happy sister equals loyal brother equals quash rebellion. Therefore, it seems like that a lot of the power that Huafei has and the favoritism that Huafei has by Huangsheng is closely tied to her brother. This whole political strategy extends even further to the next scene with Huang Hou and Yongzheng. Huang Hou brings up her discoveries with the case involving Fu Zi's death, and tells Yongzheng that Huafei definitely had something to do with it. Well, she asks what Yongzheng wants to do about it. He, at this point, has a pretty good idea, but he brushes it off and tells Huang Hou to let it go. Well, why the sudden change? Earlier in the episode, we saw that he was willing to let her investigate, but what did we just see? Huafei's brother is off to the northwest, quashing a rebellion. He cannot risk Huafei receiving any type of sentence because Nian Gengyao might get pissed off and do something that he does not want on the battlefield. He needs to keep the power balanced in that family. Huang Hou is understandably disappointed, but also look at what Yongzheng does. He feeds her a spoonful of the swallow's nest personally. What a player! <laughs> Well, this is an intimate gesture, and we haven't really seen 
this type of intimacy between Huang Hou and Huang Sheng yet in the past four episodes. Everything so far has been very like, you know, respectful, very rigid. And you can see the Empress is super happy. She's very happy to, let's say, let this whole thing about foods go. Basically, she drops the case with this gesture. Every action that Yongzheng takes is calculated. He knows that being intimate with the Empress will appease her, so he does this. And this is why we wanted to discuss Fuzi for the past few episodes. She was a maid that basically died, but she was a pawn in Hougong. Her death also had implications in Qianchao, in the imperial court. All right, I think that's it. Is there anything else you want to discuss for this episode? No, I think we're good. We just need to uh, see how Jinhuan um, fares in Hougong from now on. It looks like her servants aren't taking her treatment from the emperor very nicely. And we are seeing just how not pleasant Hougong is. You know, you get this rosy idea of, you know, entering the palace and being a concubine and all the wealth and riches that comes along, as well as power that comes along with being a concubine in the palace. But it is actually a very terrifying place. And I do think that this drama uh, previously, sorry, prior to this drama coming out, lots of people watching this were like, oh, like it might be cool to be a concubine in the palace. And then you watch this drama and you're like, oh, it's probably not a good idea to be a concubine in the palace. You're going to end up dead more often than not. So, you know, it was a good way to see the realities of palace life. So thank you again for listening to episode four of Hogong Jin Huan Juan and also listening to us discuss this episode. We will catch up with you in episode five. As we mentioned, we'll see how Jin Huan fares with uh, not having any interest by the emperor for the last month. Thanks again. And until then, we'll catch you in the next episode.